0: Welcome back to the Hemingway List Podcast, the podcast of excellence. Sorry, it sounds very bad today. I'm at my partner's house and I forgot to grab my little mobile setup thing, microphone thingy. So I'm recording this on my phone. It probably sounds really bad. Sorry about that. I hope your ears can cope. We're talking about Book 3, Chapter 3, and then we'll be reading Chapter 4. And today, I did not have time to do any... Translating. So we're gonna be reading straight up more to chapter four for today. Things are busy over my end of the world. Got a lot on my plate. Alright, got a big old plateful. Alright, so chapter three. How much control do you think Vasily has over his son Anatole? Will he listen to his father? Do you have any comparisons to make between Maya and Pierre? Do you think Maya is wiser to the plotting of Vasily than Pierre was? Yeah, Vasily's just really out there trying to get his kids married. It's his main thing in life at the moment. Uh, do you think this attempt at an engagement will succeed? Rick Evans says, I loved this chapter. Whilst Prince Vasily is on a mission to marry off all his awful progeny, <laughs> I enjoyed the comic relief of Bolkonski and his snow. Also, I felt much more for Maya this time around, especially now that her piety piety, is being clouded by earthly desires. Yeah, she wants a baby. She wants a man in her life. Warren Kvofofifi says, I remember when he was first introduced that many didn't seem to care for Prince Nikolai's antics. But I think he's one of the more interesting characters so far, having snow thrown back on the road just to make Vasili's journey a little more difficult, plus him swinging his walking stick at poor Alpatich. What a miserable bastard he is. I still feel like he means well, him checking in on the Princess Aliza begrudgingly, and awkward apology to Alpateech, but he's just so crusty and strict. I like that he is immediately suspicious of Vasily's intentions to marry Anatole to his daughter. I'm looking forward to seeing where this all leads. ghost says, I have been loving book three so far. The characters are finally starting to feel like real people to me and I'm invested in the story. I feel so bad for Princess Maya. I don't think this will be a successful engagement and I am worried her self-esteem slash feelings will be damaged to the point she won't have any desire for earthly love and will end up a lonely religious recluse. Prince Nikolai is a jackass, but I did crack up at him putting the snow back over the pathway, he is so petty. One thing that I found funny was Anatole, uh, how he kept jokingly bringing up how ugly she is, and the description of him, just sort of everything that happens in his life is just to him, kind of just for his own amusement, even potentially marrying someone he's not attracted to, and lots of money would be involved and he'd become rich. And he's like, yeah, that would be pretty funny, <laughs> that kind of thing. And it was funny that, I read half of my own translation, and, and and then the rest was Maud, and we switched to Maud, and then that bit kicked in, and I was like, "Man, this is almost like as um, I don't know." I, I've, basically, I thought this is going to be really fun to translate into Aussie because his attitude is so like bratty and like laddie, you know. Um, so I thought that would be cool. Anyway, I think because of the how bad the quality of this is, and I don't want to hurt your ears for too long. I'm going to go ahead and read to you chapter four, um, which I need to go to before I can read it to you. That would be helpful. Book three, chapter four. By the way, this podcast is brought to you by patreon.com slash the Hemingway list. And chapter four goes like this. When Princess Mary came down, Prince Vasily and his son were already in the drawing room, talking to the little princess and mademoiselle Borin. When she entered with her heavy step, treading on her heels, the gentleman and Mademoiselle Boreen rose, and the little princess, indicating her to the gentleman, said, Voila, Marie. Princess Mary saw them all and saw them in detail. She saw Prince Vasily's face, serious for an instant, at the sight of her, but immediately smiling again and, and the little princess, curiously noting the impression Marie produced on the visitors. And she saw Mademoiselle Boreen with her ribbon and pretty face and her unusually animated look which was fixed on him. But him she could not see. She only saw something large, brilliant and handsome moving towards her as she entered the room. Prince Vasily approached first and she kissed the bold forehead that bent over her hand and answered his question by saying that on the contrary she remembered him quite well. Then... Anatole came up to her. Oops, I just lost my page. Nope, that's not it. Then Anatole came up to her and she still could not see him. What? She still could not see him. She only felt a soft hand taking hers firmly and she touched with her lips a white forehead, over which was beautiful light brown hair smelling of pomade. When she looked up at him, she was struck by his beauty. Anatole stood with his right thumb under a button in his uniform, his chest expanded and his back drawn in, slightly swinging one foot, and with his head a little bent, looked with beaming face at the princess without speaking, and evidently not thinking about her at all. Anatole was not quick-witted, nor ready or eloquent in conversation, but he had the faculty, so invaluable in society, of composure and imperturbable self-possession. If a man lacking in self-confidence remains dumb on a first introduction and betrays a consciousness of the impropriety of such silence and an anxiety to find something to say, the effect is bad. But Anatole was dumb, swung his foot, and smilingly examined the princess's hair. It was evident that he could be silent in this way for a very long time. If anyone finds this silence inconvenient, let him talk, but I don't want to, he seemed to say. Besides this, in his behaviour to women, Anatole had a manner which particularly inspires in them curiosity, awe, and even love. A supercilious consciousness of his own superiority. It was as if he said to them, I know you. I know you, but why should I bother about you? You'd only you'd be only too glad, of course. Perhaps he did not really think this when he met women, even probably he did not, for in general he thought very little, but his looks and manner gave that impression. The princess felt this and as if wishing to show him that she did not even dare expect to interest him, she turned to his father. The conversation was general and animated thanks to Princess Lisa's voice and little downy lip that lifted over her white teeth. She met Prince Vasily with that playful manner often employed by lively, chatty people, and consisting in the assumption that between the person they so address and themselves there are some semi-private, long-established jokes and amusing reminiscences, though no such reminiscences really exist, just as none existed in this case. Prince Vasily readily adopted her tone, and the little princess also drew Anatole, whom she hardly knew, into these amusing recollections of things that had never occurred. Mademoiselle Boreen also shared them, and even Princess Mary felt herself pleasantly made to share in these merry reminiscences. Here at least we shall have the benefit of your company, all to ourselves, dear prince, said the little princess, of course in French, to Prince Vasily. It's not as at Annette's, Anna Pavlovna's, receptions where you always run away. You remember, c'est chere Annette. Ah, but you won't talk politics to me like Annette. And our little tea table? Oh, yes. Why is it you were never at Annette's, the little princess asked Anatole. Ah, I know, I know, she said with a sly glance. "'Your brother Ippolit told me about your goings-on.' "'Oh,' and she shook her finger at him, "'I have even heard of your doings in Paris.' "'And didn't Ippolit tell you?' asked Prince Vasily, "'turning to his son and seizing the little princess's arm, "'as if she would run away and he had just managed to catch her. "'Didn't he tell you how he himself was pining for the dear princess "'and how she showed him the door? "'Oh, she is a pearl among women, princess,' he added, "'turning to Princess Mary.' When Paris was mentioned, Mademoiselle Bourine, for her part, seized the opportunity of joining in the general current of recollections. She took the liberty of inquiring whether it was long since Anatole had left Paris and how he had liked that city. Anatole answered the Frenchwoman very readily and, looking at her with a smile, talked to her about her native land. When he saw the pretty little Bourine, Anatole came to the conclusion that he would not find bald hills dull either not at all bad he thought examining her not at all bad that little companion i hope she will bring her along with her when we're married la petite est gentille the little one is charming the old prince dressed leisurely in his study frowning and considering what he was to do the coming of these visitors annoyed him what a prince vasily and that son of his to me prince vasily is a shallow braggart and his son no doubt is a fine specimen he grumbled to himself What angered him was that the coming of these visitors revived in his mind an unsettled question he always tried to stifle, one about which he always deceived himself. The question was whether he could ever bring himself to part from his daughter and give her to a husband. The prince never directly asked himself that question, knowing beforehand that he would have to answer it justly. And justice clashed not only with his feelings, but with the very possibility of life. Life without Princess Mary... Little, as he seemed to value her, was unthinkable to him. And why should she marry, he thought. To be unhappy, for certain, there's Lisa married to Andrew, a better husband one would think could hardly be found nowadays. But is she contented with her lot? And who would marry Mary for love, plain and awkward? They'll take her for her connections and wealth. And there, no woman, living, unmarried, and even the happier for it. So thought Prince Bolkonski while dressing, and yet the question he was always putting off demanded an immediate answer. Prince Vasily had brought his son with the evident intention of proposing, and today, or tomorrow, he would probably ask for an answer. His birth and position in society were not bad. Well, I've nothing against it, the prince said to himself, but he must be worthy of her, and that is what we shall see. That is what we shall see, that is what we shall see, he added aloud. He entered the drawing-room with his usual alert step, glancing rapidly round the company. He noticed the change in the princess's dress, Mademoiselle Boreen's ribbon, Prince Mary's unbecoming coiffure, Mademoiselle Boreen's and Anatole's smiles, and the loneliness of his daughter amid the general conversation. Got herself up like a fool, he thought, looking irritably at her. She is shameless, and he ignores her. He went straight up to Prince Vasily. Well, how do you do? How do you do? Glad to see you. ''Friendship laughs at distance,'' began Prince Vasily in his usual rapid, self-confident, familiar tone. ''Here is my second son. Please love and befriend him.'' Prince Bolkonski surveyed Anatole. ''Fine young fellow, fine young fellow,'' he said. ''Well, come and kiss me,'' and he offered his cheek. Anatole kissed the old man and looked at him with curiosity and perfect composure, waiting for a display of the eccentricities his father had told him to expect.'' Prince Bolkonsky sat down in his usual place, in the corner of the sofa, and, drawing up an armchair for Prince Vasily, pointed to it and began questioning him with, about political affairs and news. He seemed to listen attentively to what Prince Vasily said, but kept glancing at Princess Mary. And so they are writing from Potsdam already, he said, repeating Prince Vasily's last words. Then, rising, he suddenly went up to his daughter. Is it for visitors you've got yourself up like that, eh?" Hey? said he. Fine, very fine. You have done up your hair in this new way for the visitors, and before the visitors I tell you that in future you are never to dare to change your way of dress without my consent. It was my fault, Pedro, interceded the little princess with a blush. You must do as you please, said Prince Bolkonski, bowing to his daughter-in-law, but she need not make a fool of herself. She's plain enough as it is. And he sat down again, paying no more attention to his daughter, who was reduced to tears. "'On the contrary, that coif suits the princess very well,' said Prince Vasily. "'Now you, young prince, what's your name?' said Prince Bolkonski, turning to Anatole. "'Come here. Let us talk and get acquainted.' "'Now the fun begins,' thought Anatole, sitting down with a smile beside the old prince. "'Well, my dear boy, I hope you've been educated abroad, not taught to read and write by the deacon, like your father and me.' ''Now, tell me, my dear boy, are you serving in the house guards? asked the old man, scrutinising Anatole closely and intently. ''No, I have been transferred to the line,'' said Anatole, hardly able to restrain his laughter. ''Ah, that's a good thing. So, my dear boy, you wish to serve the Tsar and the country in this... it is wartime. Such a fine fellow must serve. ''Well, are you off to the front?'' ''No, Prince, our regiment has gone to the front, but I am attached.'' "'What is it I am attached to, Papa?' said Anatole, turning to his father with a laugh. "'A splendid soldier! Splendid! What am I attached to? Ha, ha, ha!' laughed Prince Bolkonsky, and Anatole laughed still la- louder. Suddenly Prince Bolkonsky frowned. "'You may go,' he said to Anatole. Anatole returned, smiling to the ladies. "'And so you've had him educated abroad, Prince Vasily, haven't you?' said the old prince to Prince Vasily. "'I've done my best for him, and I can assure you the education there is much better than ours.' "'Yes, everything is different nowadays. Everything is changed. "'The lad's a fine fellow, a fine fellow. "'Well, come with me now.' "'He took Prince Vasily's arm and led him to the study. "'As soon as they were alone together, "'Prince Vasily announced his hopes and wishes to the old prince. "'Well, do you think I shall prevent her, that I can't part from her?' "'said the old prince angrily. "'What an idea. I'm ready for it tomorrow. "'Only let me tell you I want to know my son-in-law better. "'You know my principles, everything above board.' "'I will ask her tomorrow in your presence. "'If she is willing, then he can stay on. "'He can stay, and I'll see.' "'The old prince snorted. "'Let her marry. It's all the same to me.' "'He screamed in the same piercing tone as when parting from his son. "'I will tell you frankly,' said Prince Vasily, "'in the tone of a crafty man, convinced of the futility of being cunning "'with so keen-sighted a companion. "'You know, you see right through people. "'Anatole is no genius, but he is an honest, good-hearted lad, "'an excellent son or kinsman.' All right, all right, we'll see. As always happens when women lead lonely lives for any length of time without male society, on Anatole's appearance, all the three women of Prince Bolkonski's household felt that their life had not been real till then. Their powers of reasoning, feeling and observing, immediately increased tenfold, and their life, which seemed to have been passed in darkness, was suddenly lit up by a new brightness full of significance. Prince Mary grew quite unconscious of her face and coiffure. The handsome, open face of the man who might perhaps be her husband absorbed all her attention. He seemed to her kind, brave, determined, manly, and magnanimous. She felt convinced of that. Thousands of dreams of a future family life continually rose in her imagination. She drove them away and tried to conceal them. But I am not too cold with him, thought the princess. I try to be reserved because in the depth of my soul I feel too near to him already, but then he cannot know what I think of him and may imagine that I do not like him. And Princess Mary tried, but could not manage to be cordial to her new guest. Poor girl, she's devilish ugly, thought Anatole. Mademoiselle Borine, also roused to great excitement by Anatole's arrival, thought in another way. Of course, she, a handsome young woman without any definite position, without relations or even a country did not intend to devote her life to serving Prince Bolkonsky, to reading aloud to him and being friends with Princess Mary, Mademoiselle Borin had long been waiting for a Russian prince who, able to appreciate at a glance her superiority to the plain, badly dressed ungainly Russian princesses, would fall in love with her and carry her off. And here at last was a Russian prince. Mademoiselle Borin knew a story, heard from her aunt but finished in her own way, which she liked to repeat to herself, it was the story of a girl who had been seduced and to whom her poor mother, a saint pauvre appeared and reproached her for yielding to a man without being married. Mademoiselle Bourine was often touched to tears as an in-, in imagination she told this story to him, her seducer, and now he, a real Russian prince, had appeared, he would carry her away and then Sa pauvre would appear and he would marry her so her future shaped itself in Mademoiselle Bourine's head at the very time she was talking to Anatole about Paris. It was not calculation that guided her, she did not even for a moment consider what she would do. But all this had long been familiar to her, and now that Anatole had appeared, it just grouped itself around him, and she wished and tried to please him as much as possible. The little princess, like an old war-horse that hears the trumpet, unconsciously and quite forgetting her condition, prepared for the familiar gallop of coquetry, without any ulterior motive or any struggle, but with naive and light-hearted gaiety. Although in female society Anatole usually assumed the role of a man tired of being run after by women, his vanity was flattered by the spectacle of his power over these three women. Besides that, he was beginning to feel for the pretty and provocative Mademoiselle Bourine that passionate animal feeling which was apt to master him with great sudden suddenness, and prompt him to the coarsest course and most reckless actions. After tea, the company went into the sitting room, and Princess Mary was asked to play on the clavichord. Anatole, laughing and in high spirits, came and leaned on his elbows, facing her, and beside Mademoiselle Bourine. Princess Mary felt his look with a painful, joyous emotion. Her favourite sonata bore her into a most intimately poetic world, and the look she felt upon her made that world still more poetic, but Anatole's expression, though his eyes were fixed on her, referred not to her but to the movement of Mademoiselle Boreen's little foot, which he was then touching with his own under the clavichord. Mademoiselle Boreen was also looking at Princess Mary, and in her lovely eyes there was a look of fearful joy and hope that was also new to the princess. How she loves me, thought Princess Mary, how happy I am now, and how happy I may be with such a friend and such a Husband! Husband! "'Can it be possible?' she thought, not daring to look at his face, but still feeling his eyes gazing at her. "'In the evening after supper, when all were about to retire, Anatole kissed Princess Mary's hand. "'She did not know how she found the courage, but she looked straight into his handsome face as it came near to her short-sighted eyes. "'Turning from Princess Mary, he went up and kissed Mademoiselle Boreen's hand. "'This was not etiquette, but then he did everything so simply and with such assurance.' Mademoiselle Boreen flushed and gave the princess a frightened look. What delicacy, thought the princess. Is it possible that Amélie, Mademoiselle Boreen, thinks I could be jealous of her and not value her pure affection and devotion for me? She went up to her and kissed her warmly. Anatole went up to kiss the little princess's hand. No, no, no. When your father writes to tell me that you are behaving well, I will give you my hand to kiss. Not till then, she said and smilingly raised a finger at him. She left the room. All right, there we go. There's a chapter for you. Thank you very much for listening to that. I have to touch my phone now to turn off the recording. Sorry about that. Thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.